Welcome to an introduction of the Patanjali Yoga Sutras by respected Dr. Chinmay Pandya. This episode explores the background behind the Yoga Sutras and each future episode will delve deep into a selected set of sutras. We hope you enjoy and do stay connected with Deva Sanskriti Vishwavidyalay by following our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter pages using the handle at DSVV official. Pranams to everyone from Shantikunj Haridwar Himalayas. We would like to start today's discussion which is a very special discourse on the Patanjali Yoga Sutra with the recitation of the Gayatri Mantra. Gayatri Mantra which is a special prayer that comes in the Vedas is dedicated to the power of Gayatri, the power that takes us to the righteous path, the path of Sanmarga, the path of Sadhgyan, the path of Sadhbhava. So those of you who could chant the Gayatri Mantra, please recite it with me with a feeling of faith, devotion, dedication to the Supreme Consciousness, the power of Gayatri. Om Bhur Bhuva Swaha Tatsavetur Varenyam Bhargo Devasya Dhemahe Deyo Pranams to everyone, also good evening, good afternoon, good morning, whichever time zone you are in. Today we are entering into a very special discussion called the introduction to the Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. These are one of the most pioneering, one of the most special, one of the most uh, renowned and revered spiritual commentaries and the Shastras in India and the idea behind creating them had been very special. If we just close our eyes and, and go like 2000 years ago in the history of India, then we would realize the time when Patanjali was probably writing these Yoga Sutra that there were multiple philosophies in existence in India. But if you would try to find the central purpose, the primary goal that these scriptures, Shastra, they were trying to convey, then the purpose was simple. Purpose was to help a seeker, someone who is trying to reach to the absolute, ultimate, eternal, timeless truth, to help him to discover that through the scriptures that were being written. Because that is the main hunt for humanity. The hunt for humanity is to actually search for timeless wisdom. If we find everything else, but we cannot find the purpose of our existence, if I cannot figure out that what is the reason for I to be here, and without reaching to that heightened, supreme, ultimate consciousness, everything that I accomplish in this life seems to be incomplete, imperfect, futile, meaningless. So the idea of the spiritual scriptures like Yoga Sutra is to help the seeker reach to that ultimate goal, last frontier, 
Parama Satya, as they call it in Sanskrit. And before we dwell deeper into this special one, because today's talk is only about understanding the concept behind the creation of Yoga Sutra, we need to understand few things. First thing that we need to understand is that in Indian scriptures or Indian wisdom traditions, or probably everywhere in the world, you would find that there were two kinds of scriptures being written. One, they were of temporal value. They were of philosophical, academic, dogmatic kind of importance. And they were of importance only for a certain period of time or for certain kind of people or certain kind of era or certain kind of epoch. So they were of temporal value and they lost their meaning after that time was gone. So they needed either a revision or an addition or a commentary or an explanation. They needed to be modified, they needed to be appropriated as per different geographical, cultural like relationships and boundaries and parameters. But there were some scriptures which were of eternal value, they were of timeless value because they were talking about the ultimate path that the human beings are supposed to take. Because now when we are here and nobody has given us the map or manual that how we should behave on this planet, we have got the human life, but somehow we seem to have forgotten the true purpose that had been the driving force behind a human journey. There comes a very beautiful story in the Bodhakathas of India and a story comes of a man who read somewhere that in the village that he is living uh, next to the river where millions and millions of stones were there, one stone is the stone of Paras. Paras is a mythological stone that has been depicted in Indian traditions many times. And the idea is that if you touch that stone with any metal, that metal should turn into gold. He wanted to have it. But how would you have it? All the stones, they look the same. So he made a routine. And routine was that every day morning he would walk with the iron powder on the left hand and pick up the stone, touch it on the left hand. And then if it turns into gold, then fine, the quest is over. If it doesn't, then he would throw the stone back into the water. So one day it went okay. For one day he remembered why he was picking up, why he was touching it and then why he was throwing it back to the water. One day it was okay, two days it was okay, a week it was okay. But after a week it became a habit. It became a habit to pick it up, to touch it and to throw it into the water. One month was gone, one year was gone, five years were gone, ten years, twenty years were gone. And the story goes that one day he picked up the stone, touched it here, threw it in the water, then looked and this uh, iron powder became the gold, but the stone was gone. Same is with the human life. Before we realize the purpose, the agenda, the motive, why we were given this opportunity, it becomes too late, too late. And the idea of these kind of scriptures to wake person up, wake person up from their unconscious routine where life has become a habit, we are living like a zombie. We are doing exactly the same thing every morning, we are repeating ourselves, evening we are repeating ourselves. We have become habitual, we have become accustomed of living the same life, but somebody has to shake it us and shake it up and remind us the true possibility that this life offers to us, to remind us to unveil, to manifest the hidden, divine, beautiful, pristine 
possibilities that our life offers. And the purpose of the scriptures like Yoga Sutra, Patanjali Yoga Sutra is to remind us of that possibility, the ultimate frontier, the last goal, the final freedom one has to look for, Samadhi. And the reason he called it Yoga Sutra, because Sutra is a very beautiful word in Sanskrit. Sutra are very short. They are called aphorisms in English. I don't know whether that's the right translation, but sutra are very small. Like if you read the Patanjali Yoga Sutra, Yoga Anusashanam, Yogasya Chitta Vritti Nirodha, Tada Drishtu Swarupe Vasthanam, Vritti Sarupa Mitratra. I mean, four are gone. If you really want to do it, then you can finish it in three minutes, four minutes. All 195 aphorisms or 195 sutra would be gone. 2000 words would be repeated. So they are very not not very long. But the idea for sutra to be there because they were easy to be memorized. That is where the Shruti tradition came. The sutra were created so that the knowledge could be imparted to one person who was considered the rightful owner or heir to that knowledge and he would keep it. He would keep the parampara. He would keep the this spiritual tradition alive and intact by remembering it. However, it comes with a trick comes with a trick that you can remember it, but for one to give the explanation you need somebody to guide, because they are only words, chitta, vritti, nirodh, unless you understand what is chitta, unless you understand what is vritti, unless you understand what is nirodh, it becomes very hard for one to offer the explanation. That is why Patanjali Yoga Sutra, they are so short, only like you know Samadhi Pad, Sadhan Pad, Vibhuti Pad, Kevalya Pad, all four chapters, it is 195 aphorisms, 195 sutras are there. It takes literally no time to complete them. But still, the people who wrote commentaries upon the Yoga Sutra, Acharya Shankar wrote it. The great like you know scholar who single-handedly created the tradition of the Vedanta, he wrote the commentary on it. Vyasa Bhashya, Vyasa wrote it. Vachaspati Mishra wrote Tattvaisharade, Vijnana Bhikshu wrote Yoga Vartik, Hariharananda Aranya wrote Bhaswati, Ramananda Saraswati wrote Maniprabha, Nagoji Bhatt wrote Bhava Ganesh wrote, Raja Bhoj wrote Martandavritti. So many people I have counted and they are institution in their own right. They all wrote commentaries on the small fragment of the Yoga Sutra. So before we go deep into the Yoga Sutra, or try to understand it, two things are important. One thing is to understand that these sutras are not written for one country or one religion or one place or one era or one time or one yuga or one kal. They are created for humanity. They are of Shashwata value. They are for uniform value. They are for universal significance. They are searching for the eternal, timeless, absolute truth. As long as the humanity would last, their value would be there. Second thing, they are the sutra and sutra are important because they were like encapsulated form of a deep divine knowledge that one could master if he or she is able to understand the significance of the words. Now, further what we need to understand is that while we are reading scriptures of spiritual significance or cosmic significance or internal significance, atmic utkarsh or internal value. Then in that case, it is important to remember the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is mechanical. 
my sound may go to your ear and it would reflect back from there. But it is also hearing so many other sounds and noises and voices. For listening, your consciousness should be there. It's the same difference between attendance and availability. If you take an attendance, many people are present. But if you want to see that who is available, you need to see that whose heart is there. If your consciousness is there, in five minutes you can imbibe the entire thing. If consciousness is not there, then one can talk to you for three years and it would go nowhere. There comes like, you know, two beautiful stories in the scriptures. One is the story of Bodhisattva, the first person who went to uh, take the message of Bhagwan Buddha to China. And for 30 years, he was just looking at the wall looking at the wall, doing nothing. People thought that he doesn't speak, he's mute, cannot say a word. One day a person came, great sadhak himself, great like you know spiritual seeker and when Bodhisattva saw him, he started to talk. So people said, oh we thought that you never speak, I, we thought that you uh, like you know you cannot talk. Bodhisattva said that no one came before to whom I could talk. First time I found someone to whom I can talk. Your consciousness should be there. There comes another beautiful story of Makkali Goshal. He was the first person who achieved enlightenment in front of Lord Buddha. And the story of him accomplishing enlightenment is also beautiful. They both looked at each other, smiled and the moment they smiled, Makkali Goshal got the enlightenment and Anand, who was living close to Bhagwan Buddha, Lord Buddha, he was very upset. He said, I have been living with you for last 30 years and this person walks in and he gets the samadhi, he gets the enlightenment, I get nothing. How is that possible? So Lord Buddha said that, remember, Anand, when you came for the first day, what did you ask? He said, you asked three things. First thing you asked that, in whichever room I would sleep, you will sleep, so I always made you sleep there. He said, second thing you asked that, whatever question you will ask, I will always answer and I always answer. The third thing you said that, you know, whichever person you would like me to meet and I will meet and I always met. So, when did I deny that? Bhagwan Buddha, Lord Buddha said. He said, you never asked for enlightenment. You can only get what you were looking for. And he said another beautiful thing to Anand. He said that in this world, four types of spiritual seekers are there. And they are like four horses. He said, first type of horses are those which only require like, you know, an indication. One subtle message is enough. You do this and they will get up. You just make a noise and they will get up. He said that is enough. Second are those who require gentle like you know patting on the back and then they will get up. Third are those who require to be beaten. Fourth are those who would not move even if they will get whatever kind of beating they can get. He said Makkali Goshal was the one who only needed one message. If your consciousness is there, one word is enough to change you. Consciousness is not there, you are not ready to imbibe it, would go nowhere. Like you know, some of you may have heard the uh, spiritual scripture named Bhagavad Gita. That's a dialogue between Lord Shri Krishna and Arjun. And that entire episode had taken place in between the battlefield called Kurukshetra. So when battle was gone, Arjun went again to Lord Krishna and he said that last time when you were saying the Gita, I was 
I was in agony, I was anguished, I was so despondent, I may not have heard anything. He said, could you kindly repeat it again? He said to Lord Krishna. Now I would be able to listen it much more like, you know, clearly. Now there is no war, we are in peace. Bhagavan Shri Krishna, Lord Krishna said that, Arjun, now you are not the same Arjun and I am not the same Krishna. Even if I would say the same Gita, it won't be the same Gita. But because you are persuading, I will say it again. So he said another Gita which is called Uttar Gita and Ashwamedhik Parvah Mahabharat, but hardly anyone knows about it. Just to highlight the fact that your consciousness and its connection with the scripture makes the entire difference. It should be your availability, not your attendance. You should not be there only to listen to the words, but to imbibe the message behind it. And that takes us to a very important segment, very important segment, which is the translation of the scriptures, because there are so many factors into it. Something is being said in Sanskrit, we are trying to translate it in English. And you may be trying to translate it in your own language, Italian or whatever language that you know you may have. The challenge is that in Sanskrit the words were created not for the philological reason, they were created as a phenomena. They were created because the people who were like you know creating those words, they were living those experiences. And you can only create a word if you have had experience of that. Like Eskimos, the Inuits, they have got 500 words for snow. We don't need it because they are living in the snow. The Scottish people have got 421 words for snow. We don't need it because we are not living there. But somebody who is living with the ultimate truth, he would need every single word for every single experience that he would have and there is no English counterpart to it. So, I would not use the poor translations that are there, rather I would like to use the actual concept and phenomena so that you can understand what is the meaning behind that word rather than using a wrongly translated word which would only confuse the people. There is no like you know advantage of going through a very poor translation because it is not talking about that. Better to understand the concept and phenomena so that you can find a word in your own original language. Maybe it is different than the one that is being offered by the English translation. And then when we talk about that, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra are called Shastras. They are one of the six major philosophical schools. And before Patanjali. Many people have talked about yoga, uh, Vedas have talked about yoga, Upanishad, almost every major Upanishad talked about, Kathopanishad talked about, Shvetashvatara Upanishad talked about. The famous verse that everyone quotes uh, comes from the second chapter and twelfth verse of Shvetashvatara Upanishad, Natasya Rogo na Jaranamrityo Praptasya Yoga Agnimayam Shariram. That once person accomplishes the true yoga, there is no morbidity, there is no mortality because you have find the, you have found the ultimate truth. Maitrayani Upanishad talks about, Kashta Upanishad talks about, many Upanishads talk about and Yoga and Sankhya for long have been inseparable because Sankhya was essentially the talking about the same metaphysical reality. That's why in Gita, Bhagavan Shri Krishna is saying that um, they both are the same. Ekam Sankham cha Yogam cha Yaha Pashyati Shapashyati Bhagavan Shri Krishna is saying in the Gita. The idea behind that was very clear that there were so many schools of thought already available before Patanjali when he was writing it. So somebody was needed to bring an 
integration to different kinds of definitions being provided by different kinds of branches and in reality Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is irreplaceable. You cannot take any word out. If I do not know whether you have uh, read about Einstein's discovery, the reason Einstein's uh, research paper which got him the Nobel Prize was so widely cited is because this person came with no physics background. He had no access to laboratory, Einstein had no access to laboratory. He was working as a like you know third division clerk in a patent office when he wrote the research papers and he wrote three research papers which changed the entire idea of the physics. First one got him the Nobel Prize, second one actually created the change like you know the atoms do exist, it created the idea and third changed the world forever it gave the concept of relativity and these three paper came with no citation, no reference and every single word that Einstein used they were never used before. Patanjali is just like that. The word that he used chutta vritti nirod, asampragya, sampragya, vivekhyati, dharmamekhyati all these samadhis that he would talk about they were never used before. So to understand him you need to understand the concept and phenomena rather than going through the translations which would only be talking about you know near about experience but not what Patanjali is talking about. And then Patanjali himself uh, beautiful life there are so many ways to describe him people call him the reincarnation of uh, Shesh Bhagwan, Lord Vishnu's uh, main like you know Sahyogi main companion and uh, Patanjali the beauty of his life is although he came from a very learned family of India. He was one of the uh, one of the person from the lineage of Maharshi Angira, one of the Saptarshis, and he was the son of the great person who wrote the commentary on the Vedas, Prachini Yoga, and Kothum Rishi gave him the discourses. But that's not important. Important is what Patanjali talked about. Although there are like you know scholastic disputes, but there is no point of actually going into that historical dispute and another such dispute. Important is to take the message. Message is that in scriptures we talk about three kinds of impurities, the three kinds of kusanskar, three types of like you know the impurities that one could have. Either you could have the impurity of the body, sharir kamal, or you could have the impurity of the man, chittasimal, chittaki shuddhi. And third, you could have the impurity of the Vani, speech. And Patanjali famously gave a scripture for all three. For the purification of the chit and mind, he wrote the Yoga Sutra. For the purification of body, he wrote the Ayurveda Compendium. For the purification of speech, he wrote the Ashtadhyayi. He wrote the Compendium to the Vyakarana, grammar, Sanskrit grammar. And one person who could write all three and still they all are considered like you know irreplaceable text they, you can imagine. You can imagine from the fact that one person who wrote single aphorisms and still people like Acharya Shankar writing a commentary on it, Vyasa is writing the Vyasa Bhashya on it, Vachaspati Mishra writing Tattva Isharadi on it, Vigyana Bhikshu writing Yoga Vartik on it, so many people writing commentary on it can easily make you understand that how important <coughs> his work was. I will end today's discussion this beautiful like you know prayer to the Patanjali 
where it is said that you know yogena chittasya padena vacha malam sharirasya cha vaidyakena that to purify the karma of the or the kusanskara of the chitta he gave the yoga sutra for sharir for body he gave the ayurved and for the for the uh, vani speech he gave the uh, vyakaran so we just move ourselves to the patanjali who gave this beautiful verse to the humanity and we will slowly enter into the yoga sutra one by one uh, starting from the samadhi pad which has got 51 verses and it is a beautiful journey starting from yoga definition of the samadhis and how people would understand what are the chitta what is the chitta vritti what kind of samadhis are there how one could accomplish that long journey but we will reach there so pranams to everyone thanks for so patiently listening हमारे YouTube चैनल शांति कुंजक वीडियो गायत्री परिवार को सब्सक्राइब करें एवं बेल आइकन जरूर दबाएं ताकि गायत्री परिवार की विभिन्न गतिविधियों की जानकारी आपको मिलती रहे